If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, all right? Happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, The 4th is always a fun time. Really just seems to, I, I feel like this time of year, it brings all of those summer feelings, okay? Summer vibes, maybe. I don't know if teenagers still say that. All right, like oh, I used to do youth ministry and, and basically in two weeks, whatever you were saying is, is dead. And if you say it, you are, you're just, you're close to the grave, like you're so old and out of touch. So I don't know if summer vibes is still a thing, but that's everything just wrapped up into the 4th of July. I think just kind of, uh, you know, just this idea of like watermelon and burgers and hot dogs and like, I don't know, 4th of July just brings it all together for me. Uh, and, and I love that, but I really love getting to spend part of this weekend with my church family. All right, and we are continuing in the book of Acts. We have been going through most of the stories that were part of the early church, the early Christian movement, uh, and really shaped what we call Christianity today. All right, if you ever miss a message, you can go to our website uh, and catch any of the previous messages. Uh, I also want to encourage you, as we're going through the book of Acts, there are some weeks, like last week, where I didn't really read our entire story. We were covering an entire chapter and then a little bit, and I kind of paraphrased it. I want to I challenge you, during the week, go back and be reading these stories. Maybe spend a couple days, reread it several times. Just say, God, what, what do you have for me here? Like, this is, it is so important as a Christian for us to be digging into God's word on our own as well. Like, if this is the only time that the spine of a Bible gets cracked is when, when you're in a Sunday morning church, like, that's not going to work out well for you. So I want to just encourage you, be reading through this as well. Ask God to speak to you during the week. All right, but let's, let's jump in for today. Uh, I know we're celebrating the idea of freedom and independence this weekend uh, and tomorrow. I, I always find it so interesting, though. Uh, we love the freedoms that we have here. We're thankful for the freedoms. Uh, but so much of what is celebrated on this holiday, freedoms, independence, rights, like all of this, uh, really stands in stark contrast with our faith. Have you ever thought about this? Like, uh, and I've talked about this in previous years. This isn't where I'm going today, but I wanted to just kind of remind us of this. Uh, Christianity is founded on the ideas of giving up personal rights. Like there's not a decision you can make in this world, I believe this, where you give up more rights than when you choose to follow Jesus. And if that's actually not true in your life, I probably, like, you need to stop and think, have I truly surrendered everything to him? And so I love the 4th of July, I love this weekend, I love celebrating this, uh, but it is this weird thing as, a, as an American and as a Christian that, like, these things kind of stand almost in opposition at times, especially when we start talking about the idea of rights. We love our country and the rights that we have. But the moment I said, Jesus, my life is yours, I I gave up every single right that I had. And I laid them in his hands. Uh, And and that's just such a, it's an interesting, difficult thing uh, for us. And this idea of independence, yet as Christians, we are called to be utterly dependent on God. Right? But how often does our independence push us to not go to God and not bring to him our, our troubles and the things that are going on, and instead we kind of stand off on our own? So I just, I want to kind of just say this, as we celebrate our freedom and independence as Americans, well hanging on, in the other hand, to servitude and dependence. I don't know if servitude's a word, but I made it up and we're going to go with it. All right? Uh, all that to say, like, let's make sure that this week we're using the correct filter to view the other one. 
Okay, like we view, uh, we, we need to make sure that we are not viewing Christianity through the lens of being an American, but instead we view being an American through the lens of being a follower of Jesus. Like that, that's so important. It's so important for us. Um, and so, that, okay, that's my little soapbox here. All right, would you, if you're able, if you're willing, would you stand with me? I want to read through uh, our passage for today. This is going to be a little bit of a longer chunk of, of, uh, of scripture here. But I want to read through it, and then we're going to go back and kind of dig into this. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was over, so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. God, I pray that this story, Lord, would just uh, take on a, a, a special meaning to us today, Lord, that, that you would speak to us through your scripture. Lord, that every single time we open the Bible, every single time we stop and pause in your presence, that our expectation would be that we are changed. God, we know that there are parts of us that do not honor and reflect you, and we want you to change that. So God, speak to us, convict us, encourage us, Lord, and let us look more like you when all of this is over. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Uh, last week, we looked at how God began to speak to Peter about how God's plan was to have a relationship with more than just the Jewish people. Uh, but to actually extend that relationship to everyone. All right, this was a new idea for the church, and it caused many to question what was happening. Ultimately, they agreed, but, but this continues to be an issue down the road. 
Okay, remember, Peter had gone to Cornelius, and this was the Gospels moving into the Gentiles. Uh, and finally, everyone's like, okay, I guess, Peter, if this is what you think we should do. Um, but this is going to keep coming back up, all right? The Jewish people wanted non-Jewish people to become Jewish and follow all of their customs in order to be part of the family of God. Well, following this whole story with Peter and Cornelius, uh, and then Peter telling the rest of the church of this new plan, we see the new plan begin to happen, uh, specifically in a city called Antioch. And this is kind of what happened in between last week and this week. Uh, it, it says that believers were scattered and preached the good news, but mainly to Jewish people. But in Antioch, they started to preach to the Gentiles, just like God wanted and Peter had said to do. And the result is that Antioch is the first international Jesus community. It also becomes the first place where followers of Jesus are referred to as Christians. Christians comes from uh, in the city of Antioch. Barnabas travels to see what's going on in Antioch. He encourages them in what they're doing. Then he gets Paul, brings him back to Antioch to join him. They spend a year there encouraging and teaching this international church. And Antioch is actually the place that launches Paul on each one of his three missionary journeys. All right, it's, it's an important city, important in the rest of the book. And then this brings us to our passage that we just read. And this passage really is sort of the last that we see of Peter for the most part. Peter shows up in a couple chapters later, uh, just basically as leaders get together to talk, and he says a few things. Uh, but this is kind of it in the book of Acts. Which is kind of interesting if you think about it, like Peter is the head of the church. He is the main person, but, you know, we had said this was all about passing into the next generation, into, into new believers, new Christians who could take the gospel wherever. All right, so we open up on a scene where persecution of the early church has moved beyond just the Jewish leaders and, and the Pharisees persecuting them, but has actually moved into the government. All right, King Herod Agrippa I is ruling, all right? Now, okay, I'm going to real quickly, we have heard Herod a lot over the Gospels and this, okay, and it's a little confusing. And so this, uh, when Jesus was born, you had Herod the Great, all right, he was the one who ordered all of the kids to be killed in an attempt to kill Jesus, that was Herod the Great. Uh, then when Jesus is older, we see him bouncing back and forth between Pontius Pilate, all right, and Herod. Okay, and that's Herod Antipas. And that is Herod, this Herod that we're looking at today, his uncle. Okay, so we have th seen three Herods. We have this one. We have his grandfather, Herod the Great, that was when Jesus was born. And we have his uncle, who Jesus stood in front of during uh, his trial. Okay, so I, I think sometimes we see Herod and we just kind of think, man, this guy is, he's living a long time and doing a lot of crummy stuff. You know, but okay, it's actually just a whole family of kind of crummy people. Okay, moving on. Well, so this Herod uh, actually has positioned himself well with the Jewish people. Like, for the most part, they like him. And he arrests some of the followers of Jesus, including James, the brother of John. All right, this is one of the sons of Zebedee. Their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. Maybe you remember that in the gospel. I, that is amazing. That's a great nickname, Sons of Thunder. I wonder how they got that. All right, but they, so this is who that James is. One of Jesus' 12 disciples is arrested, uh, and then Herod kills him. Sees that it pleases the Jewish people. They liked that, so he goes and arrests Peter as well, who would be the head of the early church. All right, this shows how widespread the persecution was for the early church. The Jewish leaders persecuted them. 
the government persecuted them. And when one of their leaders, uh, one of the church's leaders were killed, it actually pleased the general public. So then Peter is arrested. Like you can see, this is a, this is a hostile environment for this early church. Now Peter has actually been arrested twice before. Once in chapter 4 of Acts, uh, and ultimately the Sanhedrin, the leading uh, Jewish elders, they released him and John. They just didn't feel like they could kind of uh, make anything stick. Then in chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles are all arrested, put into prison. During, a, during the night, an angel helps them escape. All right, so what this says is, so when Herod arrests Peter, he doesn't want to take any chances. All right, this guy's been arrested twice before. He's been let out and another time escaped jail. So he kind of goes to maximum security here. He is chained in his cell and he is chained to two other guards that are there. All right, then outside that cell, there are two more guards. Okay, and then you have guard post as you leave and then you're inside this big gate. Like he, this is like, at this time, this is pretty maximum security uh, that Peter is in here. All right, and all of this is happening at the time of Passover. And these guards, like, they were kept fresh. They would change shift probably every three hours at night. All right, it said that there, there was four groups of four guards. They're on rotation, constantly changing. All right, so guys really are not falling asleep at night or anything like that. Like, they are sharp. They are watching him. Okay, and this is at Passover, which is a time celebrating deliverance from bondage. So there's some irony that, like, is going on here. But if you were reading this story for the first time, it does not look good for Peter. All right, not only was James just killed, not only is Herod going to extra lengths to keep him secured, it's all happening at the same time as when Jesus was killed. Like that is on the mind of the believers. Passover time. And Jesus actually said to Peter, you are going to die in a similar way that I did. He says that at the end of the Gospel of John. He says, you will be led somewhere that you don't want to be led and your hands will be spread out. And it's kind of this cryptic thing that Jesus says. But like, so Peter knew, like, I'm probably going to die at the hands of someone persecuting me. So as you read this, you would not think that this is going to have a good ending. All right, but Peter is sleeping that night, waiting for his court date. An angel wakes him up. Now, Peter thinks that he's having a vision. And the whole situation is a little murky here. Uh, we don't quite know what is going on with the guards and the angels. All right, because this isn't a secret thing. The angel shows up and there's bright light. Okay, and chains fall off and probably make noise. And you have these guards that are fresh. So whether the angel came in and like touched them and put them to sleep or somehow is just making them not see what's happening here, we don't know. But this is kind of, it's an interesting situation here. Um, he gets dressed and then is led away. All right, and, and maybe that's why he thinks it's a vision because like, how else would this be happening with all of this around me? All right, and it seems as if the guards are just completely oblivious. Um, Peter leaves the cell, so he has made it out of the chains, out of his cell, past the four guards watching him, past two more sets of guards, gets to the big iron gate, the gate opens on its own, and he makes it out. And then he realizes this isn't a vision, this is real. And he heads off to find his friends. Have you ever had one of those dreams? These are my least favorite dreams. Where in your dream, you have woken up and you have gotten out of bed and you have gone through all the mundane tasks of getting ready for the day, right? And you're going through this whole thing and then you, you take off and maybe you go to work or something like that. 
And then all of a sudden you actually wake up. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought I already did this. What's going on here? Am I actually awake now or is this, is this like a second dream? Is this inception, like a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream that's going on? And I, I hate those because I hate getting ready in the morning. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like having to go through this while I'm sleeping and then I have to get up and do it again. I, like, I think that's probably kind of that, like, that moment of fuzziness that happens when you wake up from a dream like that. I think that's kind of where Peter is. All of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, did, did that actually just happen? Is that, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I going to wake up and I'm still going to be chained to these guys? And he realizes he isn't. Uh, and, he, and he takes off. So Peter gets to the house of Mary. This is the mother of John Mark. I, the person who we think wrote the book of Mark, also the young man who accompanies Paul and Barnabas. You see all these things. We see these names. How many of you guys skip over names when you see them? And you're like, oh, okay, I saw there was a name there. I read it. I don't know what this whole family tree is and who this is. And, okay, so I'm trying to kind of fill us in on some of this as we go. Um, and so you have John Mark. Uh, and the other believers are there. Peter knocks. Rhoda answers, realizes it's Peter. Uh, the guy they've been praying for, runs back into the house, doesn't let the escaped fugitive who is being hunted in. Could you imagine Peter being like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know the miracle that just happened here? You're going to leave me at the door? Someone's just going to walk by. I'm going to be back in there because Rhoda just didn't let me in. All right, and so she runs back in. Uh, all of the main church leaders who get this are praying for Peter praying for his release. The people who have prayed and watched people be healed. Uh, people who have seen others raised from the dead. Uh, they've seen blind people see, demons be cast out, leprosy disappear. Those people, they say there's no way Peter's here. Yeah, we've been praying for his release, but no way. Didn't happen. Actually, they said, you are out of your mind. You are crazy. Like, get this, the church leaders say you are crazy to say that God answered our prayers. It's a weird story that's going on here. Like, you're supposed to kind of look at this and in a way kind of chuckle about it and be like, all right, man, what is happening? They're in a bad place mentally and spiritually, apparently, what's going on here. And maybe it's because James was just killed and they are still grieving. They've basically given in to the worst will happen to Peter as well. Uh, but the leaders of the church think it's more likely that, that this girl is out of her mind or that there's an angel at the door than God would have answered their prayers. God opened the big iron gate of the city for Peter, but Peter can't get past the gate of his friends. They finally go and answer the door. Uh, it's Peter. He says hi, tells them kind of the story, tells them to be quiet, says tell James the brother of Jesus, not James who just died, all right, there's several James in here. So James, the brother of Jesus, he's kind of the leader in Jerusalem after everyone leaves. Uh, what has happened? And then Peter disappears. Herod freaks out the next morning, kills the guards responsible for watching Peter, and then skips town. He's like, I I'm done with this place. I'm done with these Christians. I don't know what's going on. I'm out of here. And he leaves. Goes to, to Caesarea. All right, here's, here's what, uh, where I want to go with this today. I want to talk briefly about prayer. All right, praying for specific things and maybe big miraculous things. And I read through this story and what happens when Peter shows up at the door and I just laugh at the disciples' reaction. But how many times in my life have I shown the same attitude 
towards God. Right? Like how many times in my life where I pray for something, but maybe I don't actually think there's any chance that it could happen. Have you ever been there? Am I the only one? Where you start to pray and you're like, well, I pray because it's what I do, but there's just no way this is going to happen. All right, I played tennis in college. uh, And so we we have a picture here. Who was the team one of the years? Uh, And actually, I had some very beautiful hair. Uh, in tennis, so you can see, it's hard to see, but I have a, a, a gorgeous mullet that is hanging down the back. You can kind of start to see it there. There's a picture somewhere on Facebook where I'm like mid-hitting a ball, and the whole thing is like puffed up. I look like a lion, like a very, very rural Minnesota lion. I don't know. It's awesome. All right, so I, I played tennis. One day during practice, we're running through drills, uh, and, and our coach twisted her ankle. And she was sitting on the court and kind of like, oh, man, I don't think I can get up. Uh, And a few of us went over there. We were seeing if she was all right. Uh, I was actually captain of the tennis team here. And we were at a Christian university. Uh, And as I'm checking in with the coach and being like, okay, how do we get you off the court? All these different things. Uh, One of the freshmen on the team was like, well, we should pray for her. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess we we should. You know, I was thinking about getting her off the court. But, yeah, that makes sense. We're all believers. Let's, Let's pray. All right, and, and so, well, everyone agrees, and the freshman leads us in prayer over this twisted ankle, and when it's done, all the pain disappears. And it's gone. She gets up, and we keep going with practice. And I'm sitting there like, what? Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do that? Like, I'm supposedly the leader of this team at a Christian university. Like, I should have been like, prayer, let's do it. Instead, I'm sitting there like, wait, like, you're kidding me? Like, the pain's gone? You know, in that moment, or this time I was a, pastor, a youth pastor up in Bemidji, uh, and we had a board member get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And pancreatic cancer is nasty. Uh, and for him, and this is what it often is because of the, the location of it and what is wrapped around, there was no surgery that could be done, anything like that. And uh, he was given just months to live. Well, there's this weird tension in our church. Some people were praying, and they were saying absolutely He's going to be healed. I'm positive of it. There's no question in my mind. He's going to be healed. And then you had other people that they're like, they're praying, but they're like, I don't really know what's going to happen here. And it was this tension that was going on. And I actually, I got to talk to him about it because uh, I had picked up a job working for him, uh, cleaning a lumber mill. He had a cleaning business. All right, so I was up cleaning potlatch lumber mill. And so I got to spend time with him and and I got to hear kind of where his heart was in, uh, was at in all of this. And he said that he had looked at all the different passages of Scripture where people are healed. And he's like, it's really not always a common thread. Sometimes they ask Jesus. Sometimes Jesus goes to them. You know, sometimes he lays hands on. Sometimes it isn't. All these different things. And for him, he said, I have landed on the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, where, he said, what my prayer right now is, is Jesus, if, if you would heal me, like that's my desire. If you would take this cup from me but your will be done. I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So we had this like tension, all these different things going on. Uh, he was leaving it in God's hands. Uh, it wasn't that he wasn't praying to be healed. Uh, but so he was given a few months to live, you know, anywhere two to six months. He went in for a checkup a few months later uh, and there were zero traces of cancer. It's one of those moments where you're just like, what? Man, I, I, I've been a part of praying for so many people 
And so many times it has not resulted in the physical healing that I have wanted to see. That when it does, like I, I'm almost just kind of like caught off guard. And I just, I was shocked. And I probably, as I look at this story, unfortunately, I probably would have been in the same boat as the disciples. Doesn't matter how many times God has come through and answered prayer, how many times God has done this, there's this human nature inside of me that I need to try and get rid of that doubts God. And when prayer is answered, it for some reason surprises me that that would happen. And we've talked about this before, and we, we pray certain prayers, and we sing certain songs, and we say that we believe God can do anything, uh, but we don't always live our life and act as if we believe that he will. And this is one side of the coin. The other side of this coin is absolutely present in this story as well. This story started off with some of the church leaders being arrested doesn't say it in the story, but I don't think it's a big stretch to think that the early church was praying for James the same way that they were praying for Peter. And James is beheaded. He dies. And maybe that's why they were surprised when Peter showed up. Maybe in your life you have prayed for different things and it hasn't turned out the way you wanted or the exact way that you were praying. And over time, we start to think that prayer maybe doesn't work or it doesn't matter or God's not listening to me anyways. And the tension that is held in this story is a situation of prayer being answered in the way they want and prayer not being answered in the way that they want. These two stories back to back. I think when people feel the most hurt by unanswered prayer is in a situation like this where it's life or death. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you want to see healing. And someone is maybe terminally sick and it just doesn't happen the way that you want it to. And I think oftentimes we're hurt by that. And we read scriptures. I'm, I'm going to kind of go through a bunch of scriptures that we see on prayer here. We read things like in Matthew 7. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Your parents, if your children, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Or Mark 11 I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. And we see verses like this, and I've seen some really unfortunate uh, theology come out of things like this. I had a friend that was part of this, where it's just, all it was was as long as you had enough faith, it was going to happen. To the point where I, this friend, they lost a friend. And all their families were kind of part of a church that believed this way. And at the, the wake, at the reviewal, they had everyone else leave but these families. And they prayed and they believed that he was going to be raised from the dead. And it didn't happen. And I remember sitting with my friend and this person said, it was my fault. I was the one that didn't have enough faith. I'm the reason why he didn't come back. 
And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, no, 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 that's no. And you can see where this happens. But there is a tension in this story. And I want, I'm purposely wanting to push us into this tension. Okay? 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. And those words there, though, according to his will, are incredibly important. Many times when we pray, we are asking for God to accomplish our will. Right? That, that, that's many times when we start praying. And I don't think that's always a bad thing. It's okay for us to make our desires known to God. All right? And it isn't bad for things to happen a certain way. We just can't expect God to always do things the way we want him to do them. James 4 says, Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So you have that first half, you don't have because you don't ask. I need to get better at asking at times. How many of you guys would say, I need to get better at asking? I need to get better at asking. We need to be willing to ask. But when we ask, what are our motives? Now, I don't have all the answers in this area. It's an area that I have struggled with at various times. Uh, Paul Zinter, who's here, he's part of our church, he has done a lot of scriptural studies on healing, and he's actually written a book uh, even on the subject. Um, and he's always challenging me in this, and I love that. I love that. Um, and what I want to do is this. I want to share with you two passages that I have found that helped me in this situation. I'm not saying these are the answers. I'm saying this is, where, this is something that has helped me. All right? Um, and it has helped me manage the tension around prayers being answered or not uh, in the way that I want them to be. Okay, so Philippians 4 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Through this, you will experience peace. I'm not promised everything will always be done the way I want it. I am promised that when I take a situation out of my control and I make it known to God, I hand him control of it, that I will have peace. A peace that doesn't make sense in light of the situation in front of me. That peace is what my, my board member, friend in Bemidji, had prior to he hearing that he was healed. He had prayed and he just, he found this peace and he was at peace with everything. I think so often when we pray, we pray because we want to see a situation change. That situation doesn't always change or maybe not in the way that we think, but what does change when we pray is us. And that is so incredibly key in prayer is that our mindset, our outlook our focus, our lens, whatever you want to call it, that that is changed when we hand things to God and when instead we are handed back peace. The other passage that in these situations I, I think has helped me just have a, a good mindset is from the Apostle Paul. It's in Philippians 1. It says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. 
I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Too often my focus is pulled towards uh, the here and now. It's pulled towards the material world. It's pulled towards what uh, really could be summed up as my kingdom. When I pray, it's pulled towards my kingdom. And when I pray, I'm often praying in regards to my kingdom. Okay? And here's something we need to understand. The difficult part of being a Christian is we are called to live in one kingdom while focusing on and desiring another kingdom. And this has tension in it. Because our entire focus can't just be on that necessarily either. There's scripture that talks about that. We cannot be ignoring and forsaking and hating the, the world that we are in and the kingdom that we are part of here. Like this, this is tension. There is a tension that we need to live with. And if you ever don't feel this tension between pressing in and praying and seeking after God and wanting prayers to be answered... And the tension between focusing on God's kingdom and focusing on our kingdom here, if you don't feel that tension, you probably have landed in a place that you shouldn't. I'm just going to tell you that. Like this, this is one of those things. You, you should feel tension of, God, I want, to, I want to believe. I want to pray. I want to pray with faith. There's scripture that tells me to do that. But God, ultimately, you are in control. That is a massive tension. And his kingdom doesn't always make sense to me. I don't always understand his timing. I know that ultimately God is healing, renewing, and redeeming all of creation. And sometimes that happens here in our lives. Sometimes it happens through his ultimate redemption. And this is the tension that we have to live in. It's the tension that the early church lived in. Luke shares these two stories right here, back to back, and it shows us both sides of this coin. It shows us God's rescue. In one instance, with James, rescue from the fallen creation into God's eternity. And the other is rescue of Peter in the midst of the fallen creation to continue for God's glory. Both of them were rescued. Not in the way that we would always want or think they should be. And we are called to live in this tension and to pursue God's kingdom and to bring to God the things that are on our hearts. All right, let's stand as we just begin to close. This weekend, we focus on freedom in our country. Prayer brings freedom. Prayer brings freedom. Pastor Aaron was talking about this. It brings freedom from anxious thoughts by bringing the peace of God. It brings freedom from the effects of sin. It brings freedom from the brokenness in this world. It brings freedom from this world at times. So what does it look like for you to take a step in this direction? Like maybe, 
maybe today you're realizing I'm not living in that tension. The tension between my desires and taking those desires and laying them at, at, at God's feet. I think some people, they don't do that. For whatever reason, we don't pray, we don't ask, we don't go to God. And we just carry all these burdens on ourselves. So maybe that's where you are and you need to say, you know what? I need to move off of my independence mindset and move on to my dependence mindset. And depend wholly and utterly on God's provision. Maybe we've been on the other side and may, maybe uh, you're here today and you, you've, you have some healing yourself that you need to do because you have prayed over situations and they have not turned out the way that you wanted, the way that you desired and you were hurt by that and you don't really know what to do with that hurt. Do you go back to God and maybe in some way you feel like God is the one that actually hurt you because you prayed and it wasn't answered? So when you have hurt and pained, sometimes it feels hard to go back to the place where we are blaming that hurt and pain. But I think this is a tension that we have to, we have to understand. Now, when I say that we have to live in that tension, I want to make this clear. I think we bring this to God. And peace is what we're given back. Living in this tension does not mean constantly living in this place of discomfort of like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I don't know all these different things. Like, if that's the tension you're living in, that, that's the wrong tension. When I say the tension, it really just means like handing over the control of these situations. Knowing that, that God's ways are higher than our ways. And we don't always understand them and we don't always know what he's going to do. But I'm not going to let that deter me from going to him and asking and praying in faith for things to happen. God, I pray over this room this morning. God, I pray over uh, the, the many different places that we maybe fall when we're talking about this. God, I pray for those that they have been carrying so many different things and they just feel so heavy and weighted down and God, that they would be willing to hand this over to you. God, that they would pray, that they would lay these at your feet and in return, Lord, there would be peace, there would be a change of our heart of our view of the situation. God, we also are praying for each one of those things that is laid at your feet. God, we want to make our desires known. We believe absolutely that you can heal, that you can change these situations. Cancer can disappear. Marriages can be restored. Finances can show up out of thin air. God, we believe these things and we trust you and we bring these to you. God, I pray that we would have a heart though that when, you, when your answer comes, Lord, that we would trust you.
whether the answer is yes, no, not yet, whatever that looks like, God, that we would trust you. Lord, let us be people of prayer. Let us be people of faith and belief. And let us be people that trust you. If you're here and this is all kind of new to you, maybe you're, you're saying, hey, I, I don't think I have made Jesus the Lord of my life. I don't think I fully have surrendered like you were talking about at the beginning of the message. That I'm kind of holding things back. I want to I wanna walk with you on that path. We have those connect cards. There's two boxes you can check. One says, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, you're saying, I, I've never done this. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want you to check that. And we've, we've moved to doing this more often than responding in this room simply because we know that this is something that you can't just check a box, raise your hand, walk out of here, and be okay. You need a community around you. You need believers walking with you. That's what this is all about. And so we want to do that so we can follow up with you. But I'd encourage you to do that before you leave the room, before you fall back into everything else that's going on in your life. The second box is simply, I want, I want, I want to know my next steps. I want help with my next steps. Maybe you're here and you're like, yep, God's moving in my heart and I need to do something. Something's got to change. How many of you guys in the room right now, you would say, God is speaking something to me today that I need to work on something. It, it maybe doesn't even have anything to do with what we talked about. How many of you guys would say, I have steps that I need to be taking this week? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. If you want help in those steps, I want to encourage you actually, no matter what, find help. If you want help from us, from our staff, that's our job. Equip and train. That's what pastors do. We want to come alongside you. Check that box. Let us know how we can be helping. We want to, we want to grab coffee, have you come in, whatever it is, sit down and talk. God, I pray that this week, Lord, that we would, we would be focused correctly. Lord, as we celebrate the rights that we were given, God, that we would equally celebrate the fact that we can take those rights and hand them over to you. God, show us if we're hanging on to any of those rights too tightly. God, we just pray uh, safety over everybody if they're traveling this weekend, if they're doing anything, Lord, especially those that think they're going to light off fireworks. God, let us come back with all of our fingers next week. Lord, and, and we just, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.